This is episode number 1163 with platinum selling recording artist, number one New York Times bestselling author, Bobby Hall, aka Logic. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome back, everyone. Today's guest is Bobby Hall, also known as Logic. And we had an incredible interview for you today. He's a Grammy-nominated, platinum-selling recording artist, author, actor, streamer, and film producer. In addition to his three number one albums, 10 platinum singles, and billions of streams, Bobby's debut book, Supermarket, made him the first hip-hop artist to have a number one New York Times best-selling novel. He's written a new memoir called This Bright Future, where he gets vulnerable and opens up about everything he's been through. And it was such a special episode, I think you're going to get a ton of value from it because we discuss the biggest lessons he's learned from his traumatic and abusive childhood. Also, what it takes to pursue your dreams and make them a reality under extreme adversity. Why he doesn't go on social media anymore and how that's impacted his mental health. The biggest lies around success and how he overcame his darkest place at the peak of his career and so much more. Truly, this was an inspiring conversation for me. So many eye-opening moments. So I hope you enjoy this and make sure to spread this message with someone that you think would be inspired by his message and inspiration as well. And before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to the fan of the week who is Daniel Sleek, who said, as a young entrepreneur who's starting his first business, this is a great tool to guide my journey. Thank you for sharing for free. You are a godsend. That was a review over on Apple Podcast. Make sure to subscribe over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a review for a chance to be shouted out on this show as a fan of the week as well. Okay, in just a moment, the one and only Bobby Hall, aka Logic. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness. I'm very excited. We've got Grammy-nominated platinum-selling recording artist, author, actor, film producer, and uh, father, uh, Bobby Hall, also known as Logic. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. Thank you so much for having very excited. Yeah, very excited about this. We've had many uh, technical difficulties with donuts and drinking water and my computer frozen, so we're finally making this happen, man. Uh, I'm excited about this because you've inspired millions of lives around the world with your message, with your music, and you've got a, a new book out called The Bright Future, which is a memoir about your life, which is very inspiring because you grew up in a very poor household and with a lot of abuse, with a lot of yep. uh, abuse and trauma. I don't understand how you came out a normal person with so much trauma and, and abuse. How did you come out with a kind heart, as a good soul, and with a moral compass? That's what I'm curious about. Yeah, I think I always just say um, it was like God in common sense. And mm. I'm not even like super religious or anything, but I definitely I, – I, I, I always tell people I, I respect religion and faith so much. Um, I just don't believe in like the classic sky dad, white dude with a beard on a cloud, but the right. he or she or whatever, just, I feel like something had to make this. So that <laughs> that being mixed with, I don't know, just something, you, you know, innately just kind of what I what was born with um, shaped me. You know, I'd see my dad smoking crack and my brother's 
you know, putting guns in my hand and my mom getting beat by men and drinking and sleeping in. And I was like, oh, these are the, this don't do this. Right. A lot of other people, excuse me. And my, you know, a lot of my siblings fell into that kind of same trap um, of, of perpetuating that lifestyle. And I just, I don't know, dude, I just knew it wasn't right. What made you, what made you feel like you want to channel that into something for good of creation as opposed to just kind of repeat the pattern? Was there a a pulling inside of you, a knowing, was there a calling? Was it a friend, a mentor that kind of guided you along that path? Not really. It was more so just very selfish. If I'm being completely (laughs) honest. I just want to be rich and famous. No, not even. It was more so I didn't have anybody there to tell me that they loved me or that, you know, hey, you're doing a good job or, you know, wow, you're really improving or this or that. So with that message of peace, love and positivity in my music is because I wasn't actually surrounded by any of it. So I kind of created this almost synthetic world within uh, my genre of music that allowed me to spread that message. But first and foremost to myself, you know, on these wow. records, when I was a young kid, when I was in my early 20s, I'm like, Hey man, like I'm on the song, like you can do it. You listening right now, blah, blah, blah. Like you can do it. Follow your dreams, be a good person, spread a good message. But like, really, I was like, it was just me. It was just, I was just talking to myself. So you were coaching yourself. I mean, not very well, probably. (laughs) (laughs) It would have been great if somebody else was there. But yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. And then I, with the craziest part is then once like the music actually started to kind of like take off and I had like even just a couple hundred fans, I was like, oh, I saw immediately that they resonated with what I was saying because they felt like I was saying it to them. Mm. So then I was like, oh, well, let me actually say it to them. Let me, let me, let them know that they care enough. uh, And I'm kind of in this position of power. um, I want to use it um, in a positive way. And that's when the message just got bigger and stronger and yeah. What was the age uh, growing up that you feel like was the darkest for you? It was like the loneliest, darkest, toughest year. Um, It's funny, dude, because I got a couple of them. Seriously, it's like, it's like, um, I, I mean, I just remember when my mom was locked up in a mental, mental institution and my sisters kind of took over the house and they're like 14 and, you know, they're doing what 14 year old kids in the hood tend to do. And yeah, so I I didn't have anybody really. And they kind of looked out for me, which was cool. But then at the same time, one of my darkest and most times of feeling alone was when I was 28 years old and I had the whole world in the palm of my hands and uh, nobody else understood what I was going through. And a majority of people, whether they were rappers, other entertainers that I would go to would kind of be like, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's cool. You'll be all right. Because they're also don't want to deal with what they were going through at the same time. It's kind of gnarly. What were you dealing but with? I did. I did. What were you dealing with? Uh, how old were you then when, at the younger age when your sisters were 14? Like nine. Nine. So nine and 28. What was That's the, just one of the times. Yeah. I mean, it's probably every year, but I mean. Yeah, literally. When, when you were nine, what was the thing you were going through the most? What was the biggest challenge? Well, I mean, I knew that I wasn't. Uh, it's funny. I knew that I wasn't like everybody else in my household. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet because of coming up in my household, I also knew that I wasn't like all the other kids in the neighborhood or at school. Right. Um, which was kind of like a difficult thing. And don't get me wrong. Like I fit in, I had a group of, of friends and people that I would hang, hang out with, but it was like, I also didn't fit in, you know, it was just really, it was, it was, it was a difficult thing. I think also another thing that was extremely hard to deal with was the fact that, and mind you, 
I just want everybody listening and watching to know, like, I don't say any of what I'm going to say here about my family and my childhood with any malice or, um, you know, I, it, it's just I've forgiven these people for what they've done. But at the end of the day, the truth hurts. Yeah. Uh, the truth hurt me as a kid and it is what it is. And though I may be brutally honest, if, if these people I, and this is what I've dealt with while writing this book, because it's been very cathartic, is if they feel any type of way, they should have felt something 30 years ago before they treated a child like shit. So that's a, I just want to say that. So I think it was extremely difficult. Like my mom um, is religious, but like not really. My mom's the type of woman to go, you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain, God, mother son of a that's That's my mom. Um, and whenever you ask questions or, you know, and, and kids ask questions, you should ask questions. But a lot of faith, um, which I respect and I understand it is faith. And that's why they call it faith, because you just have to have faith. But when you're a kid, you're like, yeah, but why? Exactly. And you're kind of told, you're told, no, we don't question. Yeah. Yeah, but why don't we question? <laughs> no, because, you know, and then so, yeah, I think that was very difficult having these questions or these ideas and always just being met with because I said so mm-hmm. um, was extremely difficult. That's not a good so, enough response yeah. for me either because I said so. Yeah. I, 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 and I, I think um, especially with my generation, because I'm 31 now, it's just like, Parents, and they still do this, tend to treat their kids like they're stupid. You know what I mean? But it's like they're the ones who should be educating them. So if they're asking a question, instead of because I said so, why not be completely honest? Like my wife, she's the best mom. And little Bobby will take his toy and like throw it because he's like a year and a half and he'll just throw it. And she goes, no, honey, we want to be gentle. And he looks at her and he's like, because we don't want to hurt our toys. And obviously we can't hurt (laughs) our toys, but we're teaching this boy to one hold value in something, especially something I didn't have. He's a little spoiled motherfucker compared to me. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, you know, so it's, it's, I, I, I saw a lot of things in those dark times and it really shaped me and it's, and has uh, continued to help me as a father and a husband. What do you think you would say if your nine year old self was sitting right in front of you right now, what would you, what advice would you say to him to prepare him for what's to come? Honestly, I wouldn't tell him shit. I've actually gotten I've, I've, people have asked me that question in different ways. Like, what would you tell the young younger version of yourself who's rapping or this or that? You know, I think the rapper, I'd be like, you're never gonna make it, just to get him even more fired, <laughs> so he doesn't put his feet up. Yeah, you know, and just think like everything's cool. Uh, I mean, it's like I don't really know what I would tell him. I know what he need is what he needs to hear. What's he need? To and hear? I don't think that's necessarily the same thing, but mm. he needs to hear, "I love you. Mm. You're a good person." You can do anything you want in the world. You're really smart. You know, you're you're a good kid. I never heard that. I wish I did. That would have been nice. Really? <laughs> never heard that ever? Yeah. No, I never heard that ever. What do you think would have happened had you have heard that consistently? Well, if I had heard that, I don't think I would have been in the house that I was in either, right? You know right. what I mean? It just sure. It's like I would have had a completely different life, which I talk about in this book, and I say how there was times when I really wished I could be a dog. Oh. in a rich family and like people would pet me and tell me they love me and play with me. And then I'd get maybe like a, maybe like 12 years out of it uh-huh. and it would just be the, uh, way better than what I was experiencing. So I, I remember having thoughts like that for sure. What would you say are the, the three biggest lessons you learned from childhood? Uh, how not to treat a child, mm-hmm. um, that your household and your upbringing actually doesn't define you. It doesn't. 
has a great impact on who you will become. But there are these like anomalies and just these people who, I mean, myself, right? It's like I came from, you know, violence and being surrounded by drugs and alcohol and all these different things. Yet I didn't choose that path. And then you could have, you know, kids who came up in great stable families and they, they're like Tony Montana, you know, mm -hmm. like my best friend Josh growing up. He was walking around with shotguns in his trench coat, but he lived in a three-story household with two parents who loved him. So it was really weird. <laughs> right. And then the third um, lesson or thing that I learned from my childhood. Um, wow, that's a good one. Um, I think as a dad even more, even though I kind of just said that, but is um, that's really where you're shaped obviously it's like duh but it's just i think about how much i did alone and i wish that if i had a parent there to support my love of anime and sci-fi and all this stuff like it would have just been so cool i remember being 14 years old and my mom was like you cannot watch kill bill you cannot watch kill bill you cannot watch and then so i watched it anyway alone and it's like i'm 14 man it's not like yeah you're not you know like what seven. I mean? come on yeah yeah <laughs> Exactly. And, um, and I, it changed my life forever. I mean, that whole, that, that movie literally, um, inspired me on so many insane levels, like discovering RZA from Wu-Tang Clan and then discovering Wu-Tang Clan, which is why I started rapping in the first place. Wow. And it's like, dude, a couple of years ago, yeah, I did a song called Wu-Tang Forever and I have every living member of the Wu-Tang Clan on one song. It was like this crazy, amazing, you know, milestone for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, and it's so much more and anime and filmmaking and, and storytelling and excuse me, all these different things that inspired me. And it's like, if I had had somebody there just to, you know, like I remember I used to draw Dragon Ball Z characters as a kid. It's like this anime, this fighting uh -huh. show. And my yeah. mom was like, why, why, is, why is everything so violent? Why does it have to be so violent? Meanwhile, then she throws an iron cup and splits the side of her husband's head open and you can see his skull and she, and then she gets hauled off by the police. And oh, my gosh. It's a great. And then I was with him for, uh, I don't know, maybe like a month. And he didn't go to work. And all he did was drink all day. And his name was Tony Bransford. And he was kind of a nice guy, actually. But he had some demons. And I'll never forget, I had these toy guns. And they were like my favorite possession. And I was like, oh, man. And I ran up behind him. Meanwhile, my mom's like in jail or something. And I'm like, well, yay, Tony, look. Bang, bang, bang. And I'm like seven oh, six man. and he takes him and he goes don't you ever it's like 10 in the morning and he's face point a gun at another person even if it's not real and he takes it and he throws it on the linoleum tile floor in our kitchen and he slams it he's not wearing any shoes or anything and like five inch piece of now triangular plastic oh. shoots deep under oh, the man. heel of his foot and back into his heel. And he just goes, mother. <laughs> and he goes back and he, and he grabs it and he takes it out and uh, it spews all over the place. Like oh, a kill fight scene. And then there was just this giant puddle of blood oh, on the linoleum floor for a very, very long time. And you could like easily write in cursive with a penny in it. Like, like that's kind of the vibe that it was. And that's, yeah, I mean, that, and that's a light day, dude. Like, it, it was just <laughs> that's it was, a, it was Tuesday, really it's a Tuesday morning, just showing up. Yeah, you Tony, know? Tony was a good man, though. He just, like I said, he just had a lot of demons. He was mixed he, like me. He had a black father and a, and a, a French white European mother. Um, 
And one of the nicest things that Tony ever did for me, I'll never forget it. I got caught smoking when I was five years old. I didn't want to do it. Five. And back then it was, yeah, five. Oh, bro, come on. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> I'm sorry, Lewis. I keep calling you bro. It's all uh, good. So, it's all good. <laughs> bro, bro, bro. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, yeah. Back then it was, it was really easy, right? Because everybody smoked. So it was like, hey, you know, Ian's mom needs a cigarette. And then you go to Ian's mom and you go, oh, right. my mom needs a lighter. She can't find a lighter. And she's just around the corner. <laughs> and she asked me, like, what? You need a lighter? You're a smoker? Uh, yeah. And then we got caught. And then um, I'll never forget, she sat me down. It was the closest thing to a Corey Matthews Boy Meets World moment that I ever had. And she was just like, listen, um, Tony's going to whoop Wow. And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, okay. So Tony takes me into the back. And I mean, this guy's got cinder blocks for hands. Oh, my god! He's like completely bald on top, but really long hair. He's like a cowboy, honestly. And he wears cowboy boots. And I mean, this dude was a welder. And in I mean, crazy, right? So he sits me down, and I am so scared. Oh, my. You're five. You're terrified. At this, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at this giant man, right? Oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, my God. And he goes, now you listen here. Oh, Bobby. And I say, oh, sh here it comes. And he goes, this is actually the nicest thing anybody's ever done for me or to me, one of them. He goes, when I was a little boy. My dad used to beat me till I was bloody, and he beat my sisters and my brothers too. And I promised myself that I would never put my hands on a child. So I'm not going to do that. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah. But we're going to make your mom think I'm whooping your ass in here, and I'm really taking care of business. So he started like, uh, he starts smacking his hands, and I'm smacking my hands. Oh, Tony, no, stop it. Oh, oh my God. And I'm like, you know, we're, we're going, hey, I should have gotten an Oscar. So this guy, so it's all done, right? And he's like, all right, all right, boy, never forget this lesson. And I'm like, okay, cool. It sounds like a character out of Red Dead Redemption. And so he walks out of the, he walks out of the room, and I was just still going, oh, Tony, oh. And he comes back in, and he goes, hey, boy, I can't be in the living room whooping your ass at the same time. Shut the up. And I was like, all right. So that's. I don't know how the hell we got there, but that's good. That's, I'm glad he uh, mind did you it, did it beat you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's like my mom tells me this. Oh, I know. Another thing that had sparked this was the because I said so, uh -huh. and it was uh, <laughs> like my mom whoops my, and she gives me this talking to while like her and her second or third husband, I forget what he is, and uh, are both smoking cigarettes at the same time. Like it's gnarly. <laughs> while they're saying don't do this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What was the um, man? You're at the top of the world at 28, but you were just saying a few years ago you were you were also in a dark place as well, and people weren't really able to connect with you, uh, or or artists at your level weren't able to really emotionally and vulnerably be able to, to resonate with you or really listen to you. What was the thing that was going on that was the hardest for you then? I mean, it was a lot, dude. And I think a re the reason why it was so difficult too is because, like, I was then I then started to make music about it, right? Because I make I've always made music about every single thing that I went through. I went, made music about having no money, um, being extremely poor and feeling unloved, and then I I, I would make music about how to juggle millions of dollars and a giant staff and being on on tour constantly, da da da. And then so it kind of shifted to like, oh, like you're complaining about being rich and blah, blah, blah. So then fans kind of felt a certain way. And it's just like, no, I'm not. Everybody's got money problems. And then it's funny because I had released this album um, in 2019 and it like, it's, it's funny. It's actually my most popular album and technically most successful album. 
And yet, like critically, it was my most hated on album. It was called Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. And then the, and everyone's like, he fell off. He's never coming back, which is just so funny to me, especially in hip hop, but in music where it's like, I just like had the biggest song in the world, the biggest album in the world, uh-huh. the shit, platinum, da da da, all this other shit. And then I could, the next year, it's just like, he's totally off. And then the year after that, I was like, okay. And I say this to say, like, I, I, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to write about these things, but in a much more relatable way. I was just being very blunt and like, hey, this is what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. But obviously people don't want to hear about people's champagne problems. Right. So I was like, okay, cool. So then I won't say millions. I'll just say money. I won't say, you know, oh, it's, it's hard being away from the mansion. I'll be like, it's hard being away from my pregnant wife and our home. Yeah. I'll use certain words, you know, on records I have like dad bod and this and that, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, I mean, in the first week I sold a quarter million units, uh, wow. albums and it's like, oh, he's back. And then <laughs> I retired and I took some time off and then I decided to come back and trust me, I'm getting to your 2018 question. I decided to come back, uh, this year and, um, it was very short. It was more like a slight intermission. It wasn't really a retirement. <laughs> uh, but I woke up one day and wanted to release music, and so I did. And then it's like, oh, he fell off. And it's just like this thing that's so funny where it's just like, what do you – what? what? Like, what do you even mean? And so in 2018, yeah, man, it was really difficult. Um, I, made, I got, made $30 million. It changed my life. In one year. Uh, yeah, literally. That's- but the thing about me, though, too, is like it's, it's a slow burn. So everybody might know me as like, oh, it's the suicide guy. Yeah, it's a 1-800 song. Wow. You know, but uh, as proud as I am of the song, I had been grinding for 10 years Mm -hmm. and I had built a fan base over that time, a very, very big fan base where I could, you know, do five, 6,000 people a night, which is really, really special. And then obviously I made this song, which I thought would never be a hit record. Um, and then I'm selling out Madison Square Garden, which is Crazy. really incredible. It's a big milestone for me, um, you know, because just eight years before then, I was in a guest room at my godmother's house doing my first signatures ever as Logic. And I actually have it framed over here. And it says me practicing my autograph, 12-1, wow. 2010. Um, and it's a whole bunch of Logic signatures. And at the bottom is a platinum ticket to a sold out Madison Square Garden, which is kind of crazy. That's amazing. Um Dude, you know what's really amazing is I've accomplished a lot and I've done a lot and I never thought about it. I never appreciated it. I was always moving on to the next thing. Mm. And I think that's what that was too. I was exhausted. I was tired. And it was just like, you know, people people saying like, oh, you ain't never going to have fans and you have fans. And it's like, oh, well, you'll never be able to perform. And then you perform for like maybe 50 people. Well, you'll never have a, a, a hundred people there, never have a thousand. And a thousand turns into four and four to eight and eight to 22,000 people sold out in an arena or outside amphitheater or this or that. Oh, you'll never, you'll never, yeah, man, you ain't never going to finish a mixtape. Then you finish a mixtape. Oh, you ain't never going to put out an album. You put out an album. Yeah, well, you ain't never going to go gold and you go gold. Oh, you'll never go platinum. You go platinum. Now I'm 10 times platinum. And it's like, when is, when is it enough? And that, that's how I felt in 2018. What is enough? I'm not good enough, not black enough, not rich enough, not poor enough, not this enough, not that enough. And I'm constantly being berated, especially on social media. I haven't been on social media in two years. Wow, And I'm the happiest that I've ever been, but it's also had a negative effect on my quote unquote brand, which I could give a f- about mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, I would rather be happy and doing the things that I love and spending a majority of my time with my wife and son while also being, you know, creative on the side. So that was a lot to take in in, in 2018. I wow. mean, to the point where 
sorry, I know I'm going on, but and uh, I was I had a show in Pittsburgh. I was emaciated. I was throwing up backstage. I was completely unhealthy. Um, I wanted to kill myself. I didn't. I just was. It was the most difficult thing in the world. You know, everybody online saying you're a piece of shit or you're this or that or blah blah blah. You suck or I hope your baby dies and wow. wife's an ugly and blah blah. And she was just some girl who worked at a smoothie shop. I met like this is the craziest. Shit. And I was going through a divorce at the time and this. Da, da, da. It, it was. Uh, uh, mind you. I'm married now, and I'm talking about the woman right. that I was that that I was with at the time, and um, and so it was just the most difficult thing. And then I got to go out on stage, and I remember feeling like I was passing out, and um, it was really crazy. And I everything started to fade, and I'm in front of all these all these people, and I kind of stopped the show. And I remember being in the car. I jumped in the truck to just leave in the middle of the show, and I was like, I can't do this. Wow. But I meant, what I meant was I can't leave. <laughs> I was like, I can't leave these fans. Like I spent my whole life to get here and now I'm just going to leave. Like I can't do that. But literally I was so, I was riddled with anxiety, mm. extremely unhealthy, both mentally and physically. And I got back out on stage and I told the crowd and it's in, in the book. I forget exactly what I said, but I basically said, I feel like, shit. I feel like I'm going to die. Wow. I'm so scared right now like I don't know what to do but I'm going to be honest with you and I started fighting back these tears right and I was like I just am so tired I was like I'm constantly I'm constantly on tour I'm on tour 10 11 months out of the year show after show after show go after go people in your ear people in your pocket people like you know you may never be here again you you got to keep going you gotta, and I'm telling the crowd this and I'm like I just want you to know that you're mm. worth it and wow. that's why I'm on stage right now because I'm here to spread that positive message of peace, love, and positivity and let you know that even in your darkest of times, you can persevere. So that's what I'm going to do for you here tonight. I'm going to do my best to persevere and not just walk off this stage. And then I broke down and I cried and then the internet made fun of me. And that was a very difficult year. And that wasn't even all of it. That was just like such a slight moment. Wow, man. So you were in the back of a trunk ready to bounce and then you said, let me get back well, not out Not the trunk. There. I was in the truck. But yeah. I thought you were like said you were in the trunk of the truck. Oh no no no, no, like no. hiding like hiding in the trunk. <laughs> but you were in the truck and you were about to bounce, but then you went back out. Yeah, I mean I've done that every every show I've ever done. I've done shows I shouldn't have done. I've done shows with 103 degree fevers. I've done shows where I'm intermittently puking my brains out on the side. Um, I've done shows hawking up blood from my throat, smoking cigarettes, and shit. it was it, it, it's a. It, I'm glad I did it. What do you I'm think? glad I did it yeah. uh, just because I'm here financially and now I can do whatever I want or not. And I don't plan on going on tour anytime soon. So That's nice. What would you um, say was the root of you feeling kind of that anxiety, that overwhelm, that stress? Was it be that you felt like you were never able to live up to what people thought you couldn't do? Or was it just your own internal dialogue? Was there something else going on? Uh, it, it was definitely a bit of both, you know, because mm -hmm. when you have uh, – millions of people on the internet you know saying that you ain't shit meanwhile people are also loving you like the the, the good always outweighs the bad alan yeah, watts yeah. said anything you can be interested in you'll find others who are and that's what i found in in hip-hop i found other 
nerds, you know? Like, so when I first started rapping, I'm talking about sci-fi and Star Wars and all this shit. Nobody really on a mainstream level was really rapping <laughs> yeah. around about your emotions and you're this and you're that. And then meanwhile, people can't really put me in a box because I look white, but my dad's black. So I'm biracial. But then that becomes this whole like meme thing where people are like, why are you always got to prove that you black? Like, why you got to? And it's like, what are you talking about? I just sat down to do an interview and he asked me what it was like to be a white boy in hip hop. And I just told you that every single person in my family is black with the exception of my mother. And now I'm suddenly like defending myself. Meanwhile, Kendrick Lamar, Black Thought, Killer Mike, so many incredibly amazing rappers talk about being black in all their songs. Black. I'm blacker than black. Black is beautiful. Black is this. And I come on three records for the first time in my career, my third album in going, hey guys, I'm two things at the same time. And everyone's like, shut the fuck up. Like it's, it's kind of a, <laughs> it's a gnarly thing. So dealing with that, dealing with identity and see that the, the mm. funny thing is, is I never had an identity issue. I, I didn't, I never didn't know what my identity was. I did. It was other people who couldn't accept it. They didn't like the uh. fact that I understand and I'm of the culture. And yet, you know, this is the, the shade um, I, we call it ultra light skin. No, I'm just kidding. But I feel like uh, that was extremely difficult. And, um, you know, just not being accepted. I was I was never accepted. But I, I say in this book, you can't stand out and fit in at the same time. And so even though it was a difficult road, I am very happy that um, I went through it all. But I was trying to um, I was trying to make other people happy. I felt like my music was never good enough or never this enough or that enough. And once again, we come back to enough. And I just had to wake up one day and realize that it is like for some idiot on the Internet to be like, oh, you fell off. And it's just like, what does that even mean? No, I didn't. What are you talking about? Like, but to know that, mm. to know, like, no, I didn't. This you're everything you're saying is irrelevant. And it's, especially like in, in music and in rap, it's like the critique is not critique. Right. And I say this in my in my uh, in my in my book, my memoir, I say that, like, for example, um, my first novel that I wrote. Right. So uh, I was the first hip hop artist to ever release a novel, which is crazy. It's a fun fiction. It's really gnarly. And I actually it's called Supermarket. And I used it as a form to be able to cope with my anxiety and the things mm. that I was going through. So this this main character is very much so like myself. Now, it resonated with a lot of people. And then there was a lot of people who was like, oh, this is garbage. It's like it was written by a 10th grader. But honestly, <laughs> I was like, OK, whatever. That's like that's not that bad. You know what I mean? And then, it, well, it wasn't number one New York Times bestseller. So I must have been doing something right. But when right. I say all this to say. That like if somebody was to critique it, right, you know, you have a publication and that publication could say something like, oh, I'm not, I'm not really sure how I feel about the development of these characters. I'm not sure about the hero's journey and the blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. Now, in hip hop, it's completely different. You know, like nobody at New York Times ever was like, yo, this book suck ass. <laughs> like, and that's what and that's that's what I, you know, had dealt with and technically still still do deal with. When it comes to music, only I have put it out of sight, out of mind, especially not being on the internet to take such critique. And it's not that I can't take it. A lot of people would say that, oh, he can't take critique. He can't take this. Well, that's not true. I wholeheartedly can. Um, but these, this concept of like, you got to have tough skin. Like, no, I don't. I'm an emotional human being. Mm -hmm. I'm a man who's in touch with, uh, you know, the essence of his feelings and these are the things that I rap about. And if you tell me that you think my kids should die and my mm. wife's, a, that's going to make me feel a certain type of way. So I'd rather just not even read that or be on the internet. And because of that, um, then there's a result of 
the internet, which is uh, pay to play. So it's like I have six million plus, um, I don't know, followers on Instagram, whatever mm-hmm. that means, <laughs> which I used to equate to worth and self worth. Mm-hmm. And I used to on a little story, you know, it's like a fifteen second snippet. You can just like record something. I used to get over a million hits wow. on every single story a crazy. day. It's crazy. It's crazy. And then as I started to pull away from it, I mean, it's just, it's like, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand now, um, which is still amazing. But the difference is, is I found out that the less I engage, the less I'm rewarded. So I either literally have to pay to have my marketed and promoted so that everybody could see it, or I have to be on Instagram and Twitter 24-7, which is what I used to do, but it was only perpetuating the depression and the and, and the you know those feelings that I was feeling. So I, I decided, nope, it's not worth it. I have a core fan base who all follow me on Spotify and can't leave a bunch of up comments if they're, mm. they're just there to troll and hate. So I'm just going to release music and spend time with my family. Sorry for these tangents, bro. I love these tangents, man. These are amazing. I mean, so much to unpack there. For me, growing up uh, in Ohio, uh, you know, in the I was born in '83, so really like the late '80s, early '90s, we weren't allowed to express emotions. I'm not sure if you were allowed to express emotions as a kid. It doesn't sound like it. The only emotion that I was allowed to express was no emotion or anger. And uh, it's I wrote a book called The Mask of Masculinity because it was breaking down the different masks that men put on to feel accepted, to fit into society with their friend group, with their family, with school, whatever it may be, their 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 work group, things like that. Because, uh, you know, for so many of us, it wasn't cool. I, I was a very emotional, sensitive, affectionate young boy, and I wanted to put my arm around my buddies, and they would push me off and say, don't be a little girl, whatever it is, some yeah, negative yeah, yeah. term. So then I was like, okay, I have to put on this mask to fit in so people like me and feel like I have worth. And so I can relate to that uh, in a big way because, and I think so many young kids feel that way about the followers and engagement, the likes, uh, and they tie it to their self-worth. And if they don't get that engagement, it's it emotionally messes with them. So what would what advice would you give to people on the internet right now who are who are constantly on Instagram or Twitter or wherever it is, TikTok? Uh, and it affects them. Um, the advice I'm, I would give them, they're not going to listen to. It's, don't yeah, be on it's, it. It's completely get off of it. Erase it. Delete the account as a whole. Don't just, I'm going to delete the app. That's the biggest thing I hear. When <laughs> you come back like, out three oh, days yeah, later. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to take a break. Yeah, bro, come on. Like, forget about it. Sometimes I do uh, certain posts if I want it to be very personal, but I don't have it on my phone. My assistant does. So I'll be like, hey, like, let me, I don't know, tweet Lil Nas X or something. And so I'll like, I'll, I'll, I'll do that f- from myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes I'll like see something and I'll be like, oh, oh, wow. Oh my God. And then I'm like, holy, what am I doing? I'm scrolling. What, what is this? And then I, <laughs> I literally, I'm like, get this away from me. I yes. say it every time, which is really funny. But um, it, you know what it is, man? One, it's also a different era. So when social media started to become a thing, I was 17. This is 2007. I remember this because mm-hmm. I remember watching that the, uh, the Dark Knight was coming out and everybody was going to mm-hmm. hate on uh, what's-his-face for being Joker, mm-hmm. Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought he was going to do great, and he did, and that was yep. awesome. And so I just remember Ashton Kutcher had like the most amount of followers. Yes, on Twitter. It was, yeah. and it, was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it was a big deal. It yeah. was such a thing. Was he the first one to a million uh, or something? Was, or? Yeah, yeah. And so this was, for me... It kind of happened later, right? Like I was, I didn't really catch myself like online like all the time until like 20, 21. So I was a little older. Um, but what I'm saying is these these kids are literally born with a phone in their hands. 
So it's difficult, yeah, because so much of their socializing actually isn't really even in person. And when they are That's in person, crazy. they're still on their phones. So Dude. there's no connection, right? So because my, of this- My oh, nephew and nieces, my nephew and nieces yeah. up, we were, we were on a vacation. They were literally on their phone the whole time. And I've been with one of them before where they're with their friends and they're all friend, they're chatting with each other on the phone next to each other. They go, what are we doing here? You're chatting yeah, with each other same. through the phone, but you're next to, it just makes no sense to me. It's freaking weird. Now the go issue ahead, is, is that we, no, the issue is, is that we can't relate. Right. Because that wasn't our childhood, right? So in many ways, even though it's definitely not healthy, there's things that we can relate to about kids, right? Like, I don't know, you're in seventh or eighth grade and you're in your first kind of real relationship and you've been dating for like three weeks and it's amazing. And then this guy or girl breaks your heart and then you go home and you act a certain way and your parents find out and the parents are like, oh, don't worry. Like yeah. you'll get, you're going to be over this. And like, you don't understand. And it's like, no, I do understand. Like it, this ain't like, yeah, yeah. but it's okay. Like da, da, da. So, but we can't do the same thing when it comes to social media because right. we don't know what that's like. We haven't been there. We haven't been right. bullied online and in person. We haven't right. had a crush on somebody face to face and then accidentally liked, you know, their picture and it's like this thing. And then I don't, you know what I mean? Like there's a whole world of online bullying and just things that I could, I, I can't understand and I, or, or put myself in if I was, I was a kid. So I don't really know what I could say um, to a child that's constantly on social media. I will say it is, I, I, I do believe it is very similar to the, this guy or girl broke your heart. Like you're going to be all right. Like if you get off of this thing, like you'll be okay. But our society's headed to the metaverse, dude, augmented reality next 10, 15 years. I, I phones are going to be obsolete. Everybody's going to be wearing glasses. We're going to be having this conversation without any gear, any camera. Mm. It's going to, it's, it's crazy, which I think is good and bad. I think it's going to connect people in a very positive way. And there, there's also going to be repercussions for trolls. You're not just going to be yeah. able to say the most gnarly sh- your mouth because you'll be one banned from that person's metaverse or possibly reported and then deleted, um, you know, from the metaverse as a whole. It's, it's funny. I almost sound like, like a conspiracy theorist, the metaverse. <laughs> it's a real thing, bro. Look it up. You know, for, for people listening, especially the younger, younger generation that's saying, you know, Bobby, this is great and all, um, advice to get off but you you know you made 30 million dollars in a year you've got your life now you've got set up you made your art and expression to the world because of the internet potentially you know you're able to get it out there in a big way uh so you know for people that are trying to express themselves through their art their business their sports whatever their talent is their gift and use the internet um how could they do without wrecking their mental health without wanting to commit suicide without you know, feeling unworthy every moment of every day and also use it as a powerful tool to advance their dreams? What a great question. Um, I think in my previous statement, that was just to the average person, particularly, you know, young kids, teenagers, Mm -hmm. but honestly, like even adults, like straight up, if you want to be happier, if you want to be happier, just get off the internet, like, you know, like do other, like you're, or at least these apps, these social media apps, Mm -hmm. um, which you're wasting your time in when it comes to entertainment and dreams, which I totally get. Uh, yeah, you have to destroy yourself physically and mentally. If you really truly 
like want to do you have to be a psychopath man mm -hmm. like all i did was music 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 all the time i didn't go to parties i didn't drink i didn't this not to say that you need to drink or that, but i just i didn't have i didn't i didn't get drunk till i was 26 which is great i mean that's really cool it's just maybe I was, I was 25 but it's like that was my path but it's just like and i'm glad i did it but what i'm saying is there's just certain things that i missed out on opportunities mm -hmm. experiences this that you have to be willing to do that and you have to be on on social media all the time now that's a real thing. If you want to blow up and you want to make it and you want to utilize this, uh, you know, this this device to your advantage, you have to basically sacrifice your twenties. Here's here's a big thing, okay? If you are doing something where you truly do need education, of course, go get your diploma, do your thing. Mm -hmm. But if you're starting up a business, college, straight up, I'm going to tell you that you don't need it. Um, like th th this formal education is such bullshit. Because you could be taking time and educating edu educating yourself, going out, getting in the field, whether you're interning, you're this, you're that, and making it happen. Rather than rather than because it's like, okay, here's another thing. Okay, cool. You get your diploma and then you you go to some place that you wanna, you know, work at, but then they tell you, Oh, you need three years experience. Well, how the fuck am I gonna get three years experience if I'm out of college and I just got a degree to do this thing? So it's like you have to make it your everything and most people can't actually do that. Um, and I wouldn't take, take it back though. My, my twenties were the most, my twenties were harder than my childhood, like wow. easily. And it was more so mentally and, 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 and just what I had to deal with physically and going on tour and just, I mean, relationships, Grinding. forget about yeah. it. It was yeah. so dude grinding. Like literally it was the hardest <laughs> thing in the world. Uh, but now here I am and it's like, dude, I'm 31 and you said yourself like, yeah, I can do whatever I want. Like, mm -hmm. and that is kind of weird to say. It's a really weird thing, but like, bro, I earned it. And that's not yeah. me trying to sound arrogant. Like I earned it, dude. Like, sure. I remember being alone in very dark places in hotel rooms, like, and I got through it somehow and I'm so glad I did. Like I, I earned it. Um, so that's what anyone listening now has to do. They have to earn it and they have to be prepared. I would say get therapy. Get a therapist mm -hmm. and um, try to find balance as best as you can. But it's when it comes to dreams, there really is no balance. It's kind of just a hundred percent this thing constantly until you reach a peak. Because there is a I the my biggest thing was like, okay, how many number ones can you have? How many this? How many that? Da da da. I was in this hamster wheel and. For so long, I had these goals and had these goals and had these goals, and then I just did. I had no more goals. Right. I mean, you, my the, you reached them the all. only yeah, real, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, the only real thing that I haven't done yet is won a Grammy. But like, who gives it? Mm -hmm. And I realized that the, that's just a glorified pat on the back. So that's not even really a goal to have a bunch of people in a committee who don't even really understand me or my music tell me, you know, why it's worth something or not, or this or that. And that's not me saying that as like, well, you don't have a Grammy. Like you sound salty. Like, no, this is me realizing mm -hmm. like that doesn't matter. I'm not going to kill myself for years and years to try to get a Grammy. Um, so with all that, um, yeah, I mean, balance, focus, and just, would there have been a yeah. would there have been a ritual that you would have added in the last decade, knowing what you went through, knowing the ups and downs, the loneliness, the darkness? Would there have been like you know what every week I'm going to talk to the therapist for my twenties, or every week I'm going to get 
seven hours of sleep a night. Or, would there have been anything you would have tried to shift that could have been like, you know what, I'm going to get off the internet for one day a week and just sit in nature? Like, what could you have done in an ideal Yeah, world? you just said it. You said it all. <laughs> like, that. all of that would have been amazing. But there's just no way you could have told this guy that. Man. Yeah. Like, there's just no way. I'm going to get off the internet. If I'm off the internet for one day, that's followers. I'm in my head, like, followers that I'm not getting or fans that aren't going to come to a city or this or da 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 And in many ways, it's true. So that's why it's like, you have to be willing. Like me, I wanted ultimate success. I wanted the biggest success you could have, and I got it. I did it. And the reason I did that is because I sacrificed everything to get it. Now, I don't think that's healthy, but once again, in retrospect, personally, I am glad I did it, but I also somehow, common sense and God, just like when I was a kid, made it out the other side of all of this and realized my self-worth and that I don't need to do this and and all these other things. I did. I did need to do that, not for self-worth, but to build a brand and a fan base around the world where I could tour for the rest of my life if I want and, and be financially okay. I had to do that. Um, and now I'm just at a place where I'm like, okay, I could continue to do that. I could keep having $30 million years or I could have a couple million dollar years. <laughs> right. And enjoy and just, your life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and what is that? Like, it doesn't really change my, my, yeah, my quality of life. And you know, what is even more important is I can do the thing my parents did and I can spend time with my child and I can mm-hmm. be a good dad. And yeah. that's, what's more important to me now. Yeah. You grew up in a poor household. And my, my audience is really curious about optimizing their life in many different ways, their, their health, their mindset, their spirituality, their relationships, and financially. And, and you grew up in this poor household. What was your mindset around money growing up? And how did you shift your mindset at some point to really start building wealth, manifesting and attracting money, and also not blow it? You know, just like spend it all and be like broke, you know, two years later. Um, wow. Okay. So I don't, I don't even remember ever seeing money in the household. I remember when food stamps weren't on a card, on an EBT card, and they were actual food stamps that looked like Monopoly money. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew nothing of money. I knew no concept of saving it, what that meant. I mean, we had just enough to get by, like literally. That was day it. by day. Yeah. Yeah, for real. And it's like the first of the month, like – that Bone Thug song, wake up, wake up, wake up. It's the first of the month. It's like, yeah, I'm a food stamps. We're eating chicken tonight. And then by the end of the month, it's powdered milk and shins and like gross gizzards and shit. And so, yeah, for real. So um, I, I never understood that. I never got that. I never knew any of what that meant. I think that the, the uh, understanding fun- fundamentally like how to use and utilize money and save money didn't come till I was 17 and I got two jobs. So I left home at 17. Um, I got two jobs. I worked at a flower shop and I worked at Jiffy Lube and I'm making like seven fifty an wow. hour, dude. Like, what so it's like, you're not even, this is Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a suburb of DC and there's no, nothing. you can't like, save not, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You can't really save anything. So I'm enjoying like uh, Kenny's Chinese chicken and like that. Like, like I'm enjoying it, you know, starving Marvin subs and maybe an occasional video game or something like that. But for the most part, that was it. Um, it wasn't until I really signed. So I signed my deal with Def Jam in 2012. And I went from having like $12 in my bank account to uh, $175,000 overnight. Wow. The first thing I did was 
I went to Taco Bell because that was like Ruth Chris of those luxury. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So I'm like, here we go. And, um, I, I, I bought my homies, uh, you know, some, some stuff. I got my producer, some shit. I got my, uh, my videographer, a new camera. I hooked up my mom's, uh, my, my homie's mom's car that we used to drive all, all, all around cause it was broken down. But besides that, I saved every, every dime that I had and I put it into myself and in my craft. And then I moved to LA, um, and I was paying rent and we were staying kind of in the Hills, but it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was, it was an all right house. Um, and I did all that. And then I, I went on tour and I literally like, it, it was just, investing my money in myself mm. so i would like i would pay for the merchandise we'd haul it around in trash bags we'd go to these uh these do these shows um i'm selling these tickets things are going good i'm making my money back making a bit of a profit and then i remember for the big tour we needed a tour bus and this was for my debut album under pressure in 2014 and by the time I fronted all the money, I only had $1,200 in my bank account. Ooh. So it's like, I'm this like, you know, I made it, my album's out, my dip, but there's always something else that you don't really realize. And um, that was crazy, but I made my money and then I, I did good. And, you know, I remember getting my first million dollar check from a merchandise company, which is crazy. Wow. Because we were selling such merch and uh, such good merch and things were going well, well, well. And then... Even when I had that $30 million year, like people were like, invest your money, make your money, make money for you. And it's not until now, you know, recently that I've actually started, you know, investing certain things like crypto and whatever. And, but I'm still like that poor kid that's like, no, mine, mine. Like if it's, if it's in this account, if it's in this account, (laughs) it's not going anywhere. So like, no, like, no, but you know, I, I, I'm at a place now where I want my money to make me money. So I think it's trial and error. And once again, God and common sense, something, well, don't get me wrong, man. I've had some fun, man. I went to, I went to Vegas and blew 120 grand. Oh, like I, I knew I was going to lose it. And I, and people right. were like, you're crazy. You're crazy. You're just going to, you're going to, you know, you're going to put 40 grand on red. And I'm like, yep. And then I made 80 and then I lost it. And, I, <laughs> da, da, and then I'm back and forth. Da, da. Because for me, as insane as it was, it's like, this made up for every Christmas I didn't have, every birthday <laughs> gift I didn't get. Like I'm having a blast. I am paying $120,000 right now to have the best time in the world yes. and i don't do this all it's not like i do this all the time it was like i only ever did it the one time mm-hmm. you know i bought a bronco for a quarter million dollars i, I bought a bunch of nerd sh- you right. know guitars things like that yeah yeah for sure but at the end of the day it's like yeah dude like i i, I did i saved my money and and that's I, because I never got into it like just and hoes and boats and like I was I wasn't like rap is what it's gonna be this thing I was like no I'm gonna utilize it and realize that this is a business and spend spend my money uh, where it should be for young artists entrepreneur athletes anyone who's building their thing whatever their thing is what would you say are the three greatest investments they should be making uh, you know once they start making a little bit of money. More than day by day, but it's like okay, I've made, I, I've got an extra thousand or five thousand dollars a month. That's that's a lot of money for for younger people, but I've got some extra cash. Yeah, what should I invest in? Three three things that they should be investing in, whether it's back in themselves, whether it's in their merch or their products or their, you know, and hiring a coach, whatever it is, uh, a trainer, a therapist. Like, what would you say are those three things they should be investing in at an earlier age? I feel like if they're making pretty decent money. 
they're already investing in their in themselves. They're they're being smart enough to know that whatever their brand is or their sport or their career, like they they are spending that money to make sure that they can do it well. Whether they're in the gym and they're getting pre workout powder and like all like you know, so they they are already spending their money where it, where it needs to be. Um, it's funny because like I said, I'm the guy that was like mine. So I was just saving my money. So number one, I would say like save your money, like for sure, but put it in a savings account that's going to at least, you know, make a uh, little bit. Build, yeah, compound interest and and all this other stuff. So that's number one. Number two, have fun. I didn't have fun. I didn't have fun at all. And I and um, I, I wish I did. I wish I had a little more fun. Um, nothing crazy, but like that's one regret I do have is that I was so focused that I didn't really even just have like even like dude i would go on trips with it'd be like oh yeah we're gonna go to big bear man and i'd be like all right i guess i'll go because it's like my best friend's birthday so i'm like okay but like I have as to soon go. as i get yeah. there as soon as i get there i got the laptop and the microphone set up and like i'm like still recording and working like i wish i guess what i'm saying is for a day or a weekend or whatever that i would have at least just enjoyed those precious moments with like family. Cause they are my family. I don't really have family. So that was family. And it's like, Oh man, but low key, it's like my best friend's my producer. So it's his birthday. And he's like, yeah. And he's making beats with me. <laughs> he's just, he's just doing it drunker than usual. Right. <laughs> so right. it's like, because so, so that's another thing. And then third, I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, no worries. What do you think are the biggest lies around success that you wish people understood more because you've, accomplish pretty much every goal there is for yourself made the money all the you know platinum blah, 10 times blah, all this all this stuff what's the biggest lies around success you wish people understood more well one it's all fleeting so mm. uh one uh, the biggest cliche money doesn't make you happiness success can't make you ha- like it's just so true uh, but at the same time it's a bit of a double-edged sword because we all want to feel worthy we all want to feel accomplished um, and you have to, you know, like I want to be the best dad in the world, but as, as good of a father as I want to be, I still have my own dreams. Mm. And if I don't chase those dreams and follow those, those dreams, even very, um, responsibly to make sure that I'm making time, like I'm not going to be happy. And if I'm not happy, I'm not going to be a good dad. Um, so I would tell people, I mean, the biggest thing is like, just do it because you love it. Like if, if you're, if you're doing, if your goal or motivation is like money and success, you're not going to be happy. You'll be successful, but you won't necessarily be happy. So with music, my goal for sure, I was like, I do want to make a bunch of money. I do want to be really famous. I do want this, but none of that mattered when I was writing my raps. None of that mattered when I was making beats. When I was actually in the studio with my friends, all that mattered is that we were creating something genuine from our heart. We were having fun. We were making the music we liked and loved. So whether it's a sport you love to play, don't just be like, oh, I'm gonna be the best running back. Or, you know, I don't know about sports. I'm gonna be honest, I watch anime. <laughs> but whatever that is, it's like, cool, but like, do you love the game? Is it just something that your dad like drilled you to do and you're like one of the baller brothers or whatever, you know? Like, <laughs> Do you love it? I mean, I, I'm not hating. Maybe they love it. I don't know, but I'm just, you know, it's like Joe Jackson. It's like, do you really actually love this thing? So make sure whatever it is, you enjoy it. And honestly, you could enjoy making money. 
Like that's a real thing. You could be like, I'm yeah. gonna start an investment company and I'm gonna this da, 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 and like it gets me excited and I'm gonna make people their money and make money from their money and that like for sure. Like you can do that. But just know at the end of the day, okay, you got that money. Now what? When somebody's like, hey, what do you like to do? And you're like, uh, make money? Like, come on, get the f out of here. Like you're gonna sit down at a date. Cool, yeah. You got you got the bread, you can take her to the you know, him or her to the nice uh restaurant and then but then what, fool? Like, do you like golf? Like, do, what do you, do you, you know, you want to go drive go-karts? Like, <laughs> life is so much more than just this thing. So I would say, yeah, yeah make sure you love, actually love what you're doing or it's just, you're going to be miserable, dude. Right. And what, and what would you say, who would you say was the most influential person in your life growing up then? Then as in while I was rapping or when I was a I kid? mean, when you were a kid, pre-18, was it a teacher? Probably, was it a was it a sibling? No, was it a right. family friend? Was it a? I think it was that mother Josh that I told you about who used to walk around with guns under his trench coat because he actually told me the first he he took he was the first person that ever told me what a kid should hear. Uh, I used to skateboard right, mm -hmm. and I love skateboarding, man. And I mean, really, I'd be doing nollie flips and switch tray flips and this and like I was skating constantly all the time. It was it was a. It was a way to escape, but also it was my first real insight mm -hmm. into kind of a 10,000 hour. And I definitely mm -hmm. didn't do 10,000 hours of it, but that if you put your heart and soul and effort into something little by little, you'll get better at it, right? And so I remember doing that, but there's this term in skateboarding called commitment, you know, being willing to commit to throw mm. your body over a slab of yeah. concrete, nah. you know, defying gravity or jumping down a 15 stair handrail and grinding like no i wasn't i was not willing to commit you know my Crack spinal fluid open. yeah yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. so I, I was like no um but he told me that one day he was like bro you're so much better at rapping than you'll ever be at skateboarding and you don't even have to try and i was wow. like wow and he was like he was like yeah man seriously he, he said i really think you should do this thing you're really good at this thing and nobody wow. ever told me that before um how you know, were you he also i was like 15, 15, 16. Uh, but then a couple years later, he like gutted this dude and split his intestines all over the sidewalk and went to prison for a while. But now he's out. And he, he struggles with, with mental mental illness and drugs. And I'll never forget, man. He was living, he was uh, at his parents' house and he was like 18. And um, he, he was like, I'm, I'm going to take a year off college, which is what everybody says. Every kid says before they life up and then he went to he went to amsterdam and he did he started doing absinthe and got really into green and came back and was like i'm the joker and i was like <laughs> it was crazy so yeah but having him tell you something you're really good at and acknowledge you for a natural gift no one else had done that no uh, never where do you think you'd be without him saying that I don't know. I still loved to rap, right? It's just, it wasn't my focus. And maybe it would have become my focus later. I don't know. It's just such a, like, I love questions like that, but they're just so difficult to answer at the same time because it's like, oh, what if you didn't do music? Well, if I didn't do music, like my gut goes, I'd be a writer or an actor or this, but it's like an actor from Gaithersburg, Maryland. What are the, what are the odds? Like, uh, you know, truth be told, I'd probably be working with my best friend Lenny at a land surveying company, living in an apartment, you know, settling rather than like actually trying to pursue or follow a dream. So, yeah. And how old is your child now? 19 months, a year and a half. 
what's been the so yeah i mean all through quarantine i guess what's what's been the biggest lesson for you becoming a father that uh your child's taught you it's um that you're not you're really not in control man like it's scary like being in the car with your kid and there's some jerk off like you know to cutting you off at 80 miles an hour like the world is a really scary place my my son went to bend down to grab a ball the other day and hit his hit his uh his mm, chin, chin yeah. he was fine but it's just like my son is going to feel pain uh my son is going to have his heart ripped out of his chest by someone that he loves uh my son's going to do up things we've all done that you know make mistakes as a kid maybe be mean to somebody um and hopefully learn from it but all the pain and kind of anguish that we experience as human beings flesh and blood in this world actually makes us human beings it is these experiences that we go through and so i know that as difficult as it's going to be if he ever breaks his arm or goes skateboarding and actually commits his spinal fluid to a 13 stair uh like I'm not in control of that. And all I can do is be there for him. I'm not in control of what happens to me or my wife. Mm. And I have these thoughts a lot. You know, it's like, I think like, Oh shit, what if I die? What if my wife dies? What if we all die? What if this, what if that? I think about it a lot. And it's not like I, I go down some spiral, you know, create, it's just honest, natural mm. thoughts. So I think I've learned by having this beautiful little boy in my life, um, that, this world is about, it's about acceptance. That's what I've learned from him. Um, understanding that you are just not in control as much as you think you're in control. You're just not. Um, I think you are in control of some things, you know, um, how you react to someone, how I react to my son. You know, I don't yell at him like, but yeah, he's taught me that like life is so precious and but and it's also like kids are kids so yeah, yeah. bust your chin open kid like, you'll be all right <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, yeah it's a weird thing let's uh hypothetical scenario maybe you won't like this question um but let's just say you could only share three things with him consistently for the next 18 years you could only say three different sayings or three I already know what would oh. you say to him oh and I you, you, couldn't, you couldn't say anything else you could share you, you couldn't say anything else to your son except for these three things over and over. Like one could be, I love you. And that'd be one thing. Like if you could only share three things with your son for the next 18 years and you couldn't say you another word. Like what? Oh, what? Yeah, I thought you meant what could I share with him, which could be uh, yeah, yeah. another fun one. <laughs> that'd be interesting too. That's um, the second question. I, okay. Uh, then I'll get right into that. I love you for sure. A hundred percent because I always want to know that I love you. Um, his name so that I could always say his name and, mm. and he knows that I'm there and um, probably um, I'm here mm. just I'm here just so he knows I'm here he knows I love him and I can always address him Bobby I love you I'm here I think that's mm. kind of a cool thing that's that I would beautiful. say now the other three things that I'd want to share with him which is one thing that we already have. This kid is obsessed with Metallica, dude. Like, you don't understand, bro. He goes, Dakma. Like, that's how he says it. And he, and he loves that. He loves this other artist, one of my favorite artists named Toro Imoa, who's a homie of mine. Like, he, he, he likes Mac DeMarco. 
but it's always Metallica. Like I'll be trying to show him like hip hop. I'm like, hey, don't forget about the rap, kid. And he's like, and he'll listen to it. He likes when daddy makes rap music. Like yesterday I was like making beats and, shit, and he was like, he does this thing. He's so cute. Anyway, I'm in love. Um, but music, music is a big one. Movies and conversation. Those are the three things I, I, I hope to share and I've already begun to share with my boy because I love film, I love having conversations, and I love music, and both movies and music spark big conversation. So Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Communication, would, I guess. And what would you say is also the, the biggest fear you've had to overcome in the last couple of years with with having your son, with the pandemic, with the letting go of the internet, with just the entire – you've transitioned a lot. I mean, lots of – Letting go and rebirth and transition and self awareness. What's what's the biggest fear you've had to overcome? A couple of weeks ago, I had a pretty gnarly cry in bed with my wife, and I, I it just kind of happened out of nowhere. And the reason why is because I've been letting go, and I finally fully let it go. That like the thirty million dollar year, I don't want it. Mm. Like that. Like to to value over fear, right? So what do I value more? At that time, I valued the money, um, not the fear of, oh, I might be running myself to death. Like, you know, like I value that money. And now I'm at a place where I value my son. I value my wife. Um, I value, I value the things that I never really gave a shit. Uh, before, obviously, I, I've always cared about my wife and my son. But what I mean is like as they came into my life, I realized, oh, my God, these are the things that matter more. So it's it, it was it was a very weird and emotional feeling to know like people on the Internet might be like, oh, you fell off because I'm not on the Internet all the time. And because I'm not in everybody's face, like, look at me, look at me tap dancing for, you know, massa, this music engine and entertainment like no. Um, it was very scary and it's, it, it still can be, you know, I've spent my entire career to be known, respected, loved for my music, for my, this, for my, that. And then I'm purposefully taking a step back, but it's because I did it. I did it to death. I've done it over and over and over album after album, number one, after number one, platinum after platinum, money after money after this. Well, okay, cool. You got it. Like, so what? And that's why I love film. So like I'm taking $2 million and making a film right now that I wrote that I'm going to star in. And it's not some like Sharknado three. Sh like we're shooting it on 16 millimeter film. Like it is going to be dope. I'm excited. Um, and whether it's successful or not, I'm making it for the same reason that I made music originally, which went on to be successful because I love it because it's me and my homies making, making beats and doing raps. And it's like, I wrote this script and it's fun. And my buddy, Andy Hines is going to be the director who's did the 1-800 music video and so many music videos for me. He's like Spike Jones. Like this dude is going to go from making skateboard videos to big films. And, um, and I'm really excited and it's scary. It's scary to know, but I'm also 31. That was another realization that I had. Like, yo, hip hop has always been a young man's game. It doesn't mean that the quote unquote legends aren't, aren't invited or involved or this or that, but it's just like, dude, I'm not trying to like, yeah, You're not these an 18 year old TikToker. Yeah. <laughs> like literally like TikTok, bro. I, I've never been on TikTok. I don't have a TikTok. I think my manager made me a TikTok and like might post on it. Like I could give a about all that yeah um i think it's cool i think it's super dope but you're just not about to catch me out here like whip it got me <laughs> on my trip like no dog like i'm 
buying Bitcoin, fam. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not. You're that investment game now. Yeah. So, yeah, there it is. Bobby, what's the thing you're most proud of that most people maybe don't know about? Maybe something, maybe something that you don't talk about or maybe something smaller that's not in the press or, you know, maybe it's just something between you and your family that you're proud of or what is that thing? I'm proud and a little pissed off that I'm a very empathetic person. Mm. That's I'm, I'm proud of that because my friends and my family and my loved ones, like it, it really matters to me if there's an issue or if we have a disagreement or this or that or, or they're going through something, it, 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 it can, it kind of consumes me. It's not good. Yeah. Um, even just a friend going through a difficult time, like, dude, it is, it sucks. And I'll think about it and think about it and think about it. Um, but I think it also makes me uh, a good person yeah. um, and it makes me care. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really proud that uh, I'm empathetic and, and I care yeah. for others and feel others. Yeah. That's great, man. I got a few final questions for you if it's cool, cool. for you. Um, yeah. And before I get to the questions, I want people to be aware and, and get this book. It's a memoir by Bobby Hall. This bright future, a lot of great stories. And if you've been inspired by this message here, then you'll be inspired by the book and, and more stories and lessons and things that, that Bobby's overcome in his life. I think you guys are really like this. So make sure you get a copy for yourself. Get a copy for a friend. Share Thanks. it out there. Share it out there on the internet, even though I did. Bobby, even though Bobby may not see it on the internet because he's never there anymore. But <laughs> yeah. make sure to tag him and let him know that you're reading it, that you're checking it out. Um, I did the audio book too. I just want people ooh, to know that. Like, so I do cool. all the voices and all of this. It's it's a, it's a really fun one. But yeah, that's cool. Get the audio book as well. Um, you've talked about your wife a number of times in this interview. How long have you guys yeah. been married? We have been married for two years. Okay. Um. What is the thing you love the most about your wife? She's my best friend. Sounds cliche, but it's so true. She's fucking dope. She like, <laughs> we have conversations, bro. And we actually talk like, it's so funny. Like I, I, I don't, man, I'm kind of at a loss for words. First of all, she's smoking his shit, right? So when I saw her, I was like, oh my God, this girl's gorgeous. Like I'm in love with this chick. And, um, there's a part of me that, you know, I was just like, well, it doesn't matter. She could be hot. Like, is she a good person? Mm -hmm. And everything that I hope she would be, um, she is. I love that she, um, you know, she's the definition of what human beings are best at. And I believe that's adaptation. And she mm -hmm. has adapted to life with me. Um, I've adapted to life with her, with our child. And I, I love how much I can talk to my wife. And we're so open about everything. Like everything, man. Like we talk about whatever, whatever we're into, what we're not. We truly can't agree to disagree. And we're both very uh, passionate. But there's no yelling. I love that. We don't yell. We don't scream. We don't this. We don't that. We have conversation. They could get heated. Voices may slightly raise. But there's no you and you. Oh, and there's no Bobby's, little Bobby's, you know, childhood there. And 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 I, I that's what I love the most is just our communication. Wow. How, <laughs> how did you know that she would be your wife? Like, what was it when you were with her dating? When did you know, like, oh, this is the girl? I, I, I don't know, man. She just was so cool. And it's like, I was, I was, I was going through a divorce and uh, had been separated. 
And in my previous marriage, I kind of went through, like, I, ch- I just checked the boxes because I came from dysfunction. So in my previous marriage, I was like pretty, educated, normal, this, that. <laughs> but all those things don't necessarily equate to a healthy marriage, you know? And long story short, that just didn't work because uh, we were two changing people that weren't changing together. It's that simple, right? And with this, um, I just, all the things I kind of wanted to do and was into and she was just, she was in, like our first date was skydiving, dude. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was fun. She's adventurous, exciting. Um, that's what it was. And then I just noticed she was so different. I mean, mind you, bro, she was like 19, Ooh. which is really weird. So it's kind of like low key red flag. Like all my homies are like, what are you doing? Like, this, are you robbing the cradle? She robbing yeah. the grave? What's going on? Um, but, but no, I don't, it's weird. A maturity beyond her years. It's, I don't know. It's, she was just got it. She got it. Like, that's another thing. Like, sometimes you'd like date girls or somehow logic would slip out or something like that. And you're like, oh, no, like, I can't fuck with you. Like, this is, you know, her, she, it was never that. I was always just Bobby. I was myself. And then the cool thing is, like, I noticed very quickly one, she's extremely good with money. And she's not materialistic. So I would like take her places and be like, yo, what's up? Let's go to Louis Vuitton, girl. Like, I just made $30 million lately. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's have a little bit of fun. And we'd go, and then she like wouldn't get anything. And I'd bring her back again. She wouldn't, she wouldn't. And I'd have to like force her to get something. Um, that was a big thing that let me know. Like, it's not about money. It's not about, but I mean, hey, man. There's a reason women date doctors and lawyers and that like you want a successful man who has money because at the end of the day, if you take it back to like this primal instinct, you want a man who can forage and hunt and build a house like you want that. So it's like obviously she was attracted to my success, attracted to uh, just me as a creative person. Um, so I get that. That's normal. But it was never just that, just like it was never um like just her body or the right, fact right, that she, right. uh, she's so physically beautiful. It's like, yeah, you could be a bimbo though. I'm not right, going right. I'm not going to like you. So it was kind of that. So yeah. What do you what do you think is the thing you strip away all your creative success and accomplishments and money and good looks? What do you think is the thing that she loves the most about you? Probably that I'm really sweet and uh thoughtful and funny. Yeah. I think I think that's it cuz I am you know, I like to do things. I just surprised her the other day and rented out a whole ice skating rink like a, like a Happy Gilmore. That nice. <laughs> like that. It's important, man. Like anybody listening to this, uh, no matter who you are, like do something for your significant other and do it often and do it by surprise. Mm. Like, you know, not so often that they expect it. Right. <laughs> like you got to You know, you still you don't want it to be all the time thing. But whether it's a, a single rose, a dozen roses, ten million roses, whether it's just a note that they find that you you put in their purse or their wallet or their this, like just these little tiny things that let them know that you care. Sometimes I'll take, I'll go the easiest. Get yourself a marker and a packet of post-it notes and write cute little things that you love about them or whatever and post it all over the house like that's awesome like just these it's not about money it's not about you know mastros or nobu or mm-hmm. you know going to the best restaurant or the, it's really not it's just about um caring and uh, and yeah so. i love this man i could uh i could talk to you for a long time but i want to ask you the, the couple final questions i ask everyone at the end of episodes cool. this is called the three truths and i feel like i've asked you many threes of a lot of things today but um Another hypothetical scenario. Imagine it's your last day on earth many, many years away. You get to live as old as you want to live, but eventually you got to turn the lights off and 
wherever you go next is where you go. Um, and you, you continue to accomplish all of your dreams and goals or live the lifestyle you want to live and you have the happy life, everything you want to do, it happens. But for whatever reason, you've got to take your creative work with you to the next place or it can't be here in this world. And so this interview, all your music, all your books and writing and everything, all your content is somewhere else. No one has access to it anymore. But you get a piece of paper and a pen, if there's paper and pen at that time, and you get to write down three things you know to be true, three lessons that you've learned in your life that you would leave with the world for them to, to live by, kind of three principles. What would you say would be those three truths for you? Um, always make time for friends and family. Um, you know, always put out good or positive energy into the world because I do believe you will get that back. And have fun. Mm-hmm. Life's short. <laughs> for real, yeah. seriously. So, I want to acknowledge you, Bobby, for uh, the realness you bring. Man, it's uh, this is the first time I've connected with you uh, over Zoom. Hopefully, we'll meet in person someday. But I've seen obviously content with our our yeah. guy Gary V and other stuff you put out there and your music. It's it's always inspiring to see your realness, but to experience it digitally in this sense. I love uh, how authentic you are, man. I love your journey, your growth your humility and and the fact that you were, you know, for a lot of people at the top of the top and you said, you know what, what's most important is wife, you know, kid, my mental health, you know, stability, emotional regulation, all that stuff. And you said, I'm going to take a, you know, take a pause or take a break or whatever it is for as long as you need to, to focus on that. And I really acknowledge that, that example, because so many people are, constantly striving for more and more and more and more more fame, more success, more money. And you said, no, I want less so I can have a greater life. And I think that's something to be acknowledged. And I really, really value that in you as a human being to set that standard and example for this period of time. And um, I appreciate your realness, man. Um, This is a... Before I ask the final... You're welcome. Before I ask the final question, I want to remind people one more time. Get this book... This bright future. Uh, make sure to share. It's got <laughs> some you. gnarly stories, some great lessons. You'll be inspired. You'll be freaked out, all the stuff. So check it out. Give it to a few friends. Give it to your kids to read this as well. And uh, Please, think- it's crazy, man. I got kidnapped. I got held hostage. I ran around with guns. I shot guns. I cooked crack. My brother sold my dad crack. It, it's the craziest. Like, it, that is I'm so excited for people to check this thing out, man. It's a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make sure you guys get a few copies of this. Um this is the final question for this interview, and uh, it is, what is your definition of greatness? Oh, wow. It's funny, because like everything else you asked, I felt like I, I was like, oh, yeah, I got this. Definition of greatness. I mean, that's like so... Like for a human being, for craft, for whatever, whatever your definition. This is the question I ask everyone at the end. You know, from bil- <laughs> from billionaires to world class athletes yeah. to scientists and doctors. It's just what is your definition of greatness? Wow, I think my definition of greatness is to is for a person to know what success and happiness means to them, and if they can achieve that they've achieved greatness. And that doesn't have to be being a billionaire, being a sports, you know, somebody who plays sports, being a musician, being famous, being this. It could be somebody who goes to a job and they go to that job 
And maybe they don't even love that job, but they go to it so that it can support the things that they actually do love in life and that they're focused on. I think my definition of, of greatness is that happiness and finding success in yourself and in your life. My man, Bobby, thank you so much for being here, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, my G. Chicka, chicka. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you. This has been so fun, and you're really fantastic uh, at your job, which is super cool. So thank you for having me. I hope to uh, meet you in person. I hope to be back, and yeah, um, I hope I hope the you know the listeners have have enjoyed this. And I just would like to thank them for uh, well those who have stuck around uh, for listening to my story. And uh, I hope you enjoy the book. And if not, all good. I appreciate you. I appreciate. Um, I appreciate just this moment. It's it's really special. So thank you very it's much. It's been beautiful, man. I appreciate you opening up. And for those that maybe will catch you once a month on the internet, where where can where should they go to con- connect with you the most if they get a um, second of your time? Nah, fuck that. <laughs> just, just just listen to my music. Social media. So go to Spotify. <laughs> go to Spotify. Yeah, go to Spotify. Listen to music there. Get the book. Get the audio. Oh, you know book. what? Actually, sometimes I release like fun videos on my YouTube channel. It's called Bobby's World. So I guess there, that's cool. We'll link it. We'll link it all up in the show notes and put it out there for people if they want to check that out too. But uh, Spotify and um, and check it out. Check out the book. So appreciate it, man. Swag. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. And also make sure to share this with a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts as well. I really love hearing feedback from you guys, so share a review over on Apple and let me know what part of this episode resonated with you the most. And if no one's told you lately, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great.